Uh, hey, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the Cold Chain Summit. Uh, my name is Greg Miller. I'm a senior editor with FreightWaves and American Shipper. Uh, and today I'm joined by Peter Friedman, uh, the executive director of the Agriculture Transportation Coalition, or AgTC. Uh, hey, Peter, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy watching the FreightWaves newscast, but also your articles are very good. I appreciate it. So, so today, what we're going to talk about is the ocean segment of the cold chain, uh, U.S. food exports in refrigerated containers, uh, and it has been uh, uh, an exceptionally eventful year in the segment. Uh, although I could, I guess, I could say that about any shipping segment this year. Um, but before we get to that, Peter, if you could just start off with a brief description uh, of AgTC, you know what it is and what its goals are. Uh, the Agriculture Transportation Coalition was founded uh, about uh, 25 years ago. Uh, I had finished uh, my tenure up on Capitol Hill, where I wrote the Ocean Shipping Act, uh, and found that agriculture and forest products exporters uh, really were not getting the attention they needed uh, from federal agencies, from the Federal Maritime Commission, from ocean carriers, from ports, uh, because all the attention seemed to be focused on import cargo. Uh, we're talking about containerized agriculture, and around that time came together uh, virtually all agriculture commodities and forest products. So we include paper uh, and lumber and, and so forth, as well as cotton and ginseng and uh, almonds and walnuts and rice and cotton you name it, soybeans, so forth. Really, our focus is on agriculture exports by container. Uh, and we have this basic mantra that has informed our entire existence. There's nothing we produce in the United States in agriculture or forest products that cannot be sourced somewhere else in the world. If we don't produce it, as well as we can, and then deliver it affordably and dependably to our foreign customers, those customers will go to some other source somewhere in the world, and we will lose that market likely forever. So we've had painful experiences, and we don't want to have any more, and that's our agenda. Okay, great. So, so let's get into it with 2020 and coronavirus. There's been a lot of disruptions. Uh, I want to start with a situation that arose in June and July. Uh, it was first reported in June that there was an outbreak of COVID uh, in Beijing near a food market, and the government seemed to focus on the idea that uh, coronavirus was coming into the country on frozen food. And uh, this created uh, uh, increased inspections at the ports, uh, it slowed the velocity down, the reefer plugs filled up at the Chinese terminals, and U.S. food exports that were coming over to China uh, uh, got re had to be redirected. And I, I believe AgTC was involved in helping the exporters out in the situation. So if you could just walk me through what exactly happened there, and what I really want to know is, how did that ever get resolved, or did it? Well, over the years, AgTC has had uh, plenty of experience helping our members who ship refrigerated products, citrus, for example, to China. Over the years, China has uh, 
been somewhat, let's say, unpredictable in how it applies its tariffs and import processes. So if China, for example, as they did about two and a half years ago, for whatever reason, probably because they were developing new sourcing of their own for citrus from someplace other than the United States, all of a sudden, sporadically, would change what was a three-minute, five-minute inspection of a container containing citrus, a refrigerated container, into a four- or five-day process with the container, refrigerated container now, genset turned off, sitting on the, uh, on the tarmac in the summer at Chinese ports for five, seven days, obviously ruined the, the citrus. Uh, it created great disruption, and we uh, had to engage uh, with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, with our foreign ag service, uh, and even with our State Department to try to uh, get China to back off of that. So from time to time, they find these phytosanitary, supposed phytosanitary reasons uh, to curtail or hinder imports from the United States of refrigerated goods as well as others. Now, what happened with that Beijing market, food market, that you uh, so correctly described uh, was the cause, or at least alleged cause, of the Chinese government's uh, desire to uh, have uh, much more documentation, if basically we could call it restrictions, on the imports of refrigerated uh, foodstuffs, um, was, gave us pause first. It was it a legitimate concern. In other words, legitimate meaning, did the Chinese actually believe that COVID could be carried on uh, foodstuffs? Uh, we concluded that they actually did believe that. Now, scientific um, experience, evidence, and data showed that that's not true. COVID doesn't live on you know frozen salmon or refrigerated broccoli or, or so forth. COVID doesn't live on it. But they, we believe, actually believed it. So it was legitimate. It was not, therefore, another one of their kind of phony phytosanitary restrictions to protect some domestic interest. So then our next step was to take a look at what the Chinese, since they actually believed it, and it was difficult to tell them, no, you're wrong, your science is wrong. Uh, some countries you can tell they're, they're wrong. Other countries like China, you can't tell they're wrong. But we tried to address, we tried to address their concern but in a way that would allow our agriculture and uh, refrigerated products to move uh, unimpeded into China. And the way we did that was that uh, we laid out the process by which APHIS certificates are given by USDA. And in fact, you have to meet all of the United Nations standards, all World Health Organization standards. In fact, it's even more rigorous than that. So we laid, we created a form that exporters could um, submit because the Chinese wanted our U.S. exporters to commit in writing that there's no COVID on this broccoli or whatever. So, and you so, did, so did the Chinese uh, uh, accept uh, that solution? Uh, 
What is interesting about the way China uh, handles their phytosanitary and other restrictions, and it's not just for agriculture, it's for all imports, it's not, it might be centrally announced by Beijing, by the government, but it's applied in each port a little differently. There's a lot of autonomy, more autonomy than I think most people appreciate in the way China handles these sorts of things. So, as it was with citrus, and in this case here, different ports had different practices. And I wouldn't even say policies because they weren't even consistent even within the port. Uh, some terminal would accept it, other terminals wouldn't. But we found uh, that by and large, most of the uh, ports were starting to accept it. Some were not, but were starting to accept this alternative that we, the AgTC, drafted and distributed to our members uh, to give the Chinese uh, confidence that it met the safety standards, even if it didn't, it wasn't accompanied by the official certificate that the Beijing government. Okay, so I guess Peter, the big question here though is: uh, Are there any more disruptions? to the flow of containers uh, as a result of this issue in China? Uh, as a result of the uh, alleged transfer of COVID on refrigerated uh, foodstuffs from the United States, no, uh, that has been largely resolved. Not only because the U.S. agriculture exporter wanted it resolved, but because wherever we're shipping our goods, there's a foreign customer. And there were foreign customers, the Chinese customers themselves, that did not like this disruption. And there was pressure on the Chinese government in from Chinese citizens, Chinese companies, to take a look and accept the AgTC uh, form that we had uh, uh, distributed. So that has gradually been eliminated. So I guess when it comes to coronavirus, also, there's a big issue with container equipment availability. Uh, on the import side, there's a huge problem with getting containers, empty containers, over to China to bring the goods over back to the U.S. And I'm wondering, are you seeing the same thing on the, uh, the reefer container side and where those uh, containers need to be for U.S. exporters? Absolutely. Uh, we see that the challenge of this massive flow of import cargo coming into the United States from China at very high freight rates, very profitable for the ocean carriers, has created an incentive to get those containers back to China as soon as they can uh, to fill them up with more cargo coming here because that's the best revenue uh, for the carriers with those containers. And that applies to refrigerated uh, as well. Uh, but uh, we need those refrigerated containers or for non-refrigerated cargo, just empty containers in places where our agriculture is sourced. And we have many of our members uh, who are exporting beef, pork, chicken, uh, dairy, etc., all requiring refrigerated transport. Uh, and they are based uh, this in the Midwest. The stockyards used to be in downtown Chicago. They are no longer. The stockyards are in very rural places. <clears throat> so when we import into this country products that may require refrigeration and a refrigerated container, they tend to go to where everybody lives, which is the coastal states, uh, and they come to New York, New Jersey, or Los Angeles, Long Beach, 
and they basically stay there. Uh, those containers stay there. The product is unloaded there, distributed to people who consume uh, shrimp and other products that we import that are refrigerated. But if you are an exporter and you need them in Junction City, Kansas, that's a problem. And we have been dealing with this problem for, well, since COVID began here really in earnest in March. We have people in Nebraska, in Kansas, in uh, North Dakota, et cetera, who are trying to reposition containers, get the empty refrigerated containers, and they have to reposition them from places like Chicago. Can you imagine a refrigerated container having to be repositioned from New York, New Jersey, all the way to Junction City, Kansas? An That's empty expensive. One. Very That's expensive. And that has happened because you're desperate to meet a foreign customer's demand uh, you need that container, you need the refrigerated container, and you've got to get it, even if it's costing you, the ocean carrier, the trucker, a great deal. But guess who actually pays it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we've been talking about coronavirus, but it's easy to forget that this is all happening in the midst of uh, several years of trade tensions, a trade war. We have had issues with both China and, to a certain extent, with Europe. And I'm wondering how uh, these issues have affected and are affecting uh, the U.S. exporters and what you think about it. And then, you know, we have an election coming up uh, in three weeks. And I'm wondering what you think about that as well. Are U.S. exports of agriculture, the highest value export of agriculture, tends to be the refrigerated, um, refrigerated uh, either chilled or frozen beef and pork, uh, frozen poultry, uh, salmon and other fish products, lobster, etc. cetera. Uh, those are the high value agriculture exports. We have trade dis disputes all around the world and in virtually all of them, refrigerated agriculture exports from the United States play a very central role and are very much in jeopardy in these negotiations. With Korea, when they wanted to cut, th cut us off, they first went to pork. When China wanted to uh, retaliate against our tariffs, they first went to two things, pork and soybeans. When the uh, European Union, and we're in negotiations right now with the European Union, it's a lot about beef, with the British for Brexit. It's about beef, cheese, pork that can go into the European Union. So front and center in these trade negotiations always is agriculture and always seems to be refrigerated agriculture. So we're very sensitive to that. That's one. Two, when they make a change in uh, the relationship, it often induces that foreign customers say, well, you know, I can get this product, this refrigerated product, somewhere else in the world, and I'll do it. And then it's very hard to get that back because the supply chain for refrigerated products is very complex, much more complex, much more challenging with the need to have cold storage facilities at origin and destination, cold storage capability or carriage capability on truckers, gensets, reefer plugs on the, on the railroad and then on the ships very complex. And so once you make a change or force a change in that, 
boy, nobody wants to go back and revisit and establish a new supply chain or re restore the supply chain they had with the United States. So the challenges are really great. Now, with the election coming up, uh, there's been a lot of talk about tariffs. Uh, Kamala Harris, uh, the candidate uh, for the vice president on the Democratic ticket, uh, raised it in the last debate uh, she had uh, with Vice President Pence as one of the things that the Trump administration has done that uh, she said was bad for the U.S. economy. Uh, now, that would suggest to some casual observers that maybe if the Biden team got elected, uh, they would repeal our tariffs uh, against other countries and they would repeal their tariffs against our exports. Um, in fact, here in Washington, uh, there's nobody who really expects that, uh, you know, should uh, there be a change in administration, that there would be a dramatic change in the tariffs that are currently in place. In fact, for the last three and a half years, Congress Republicans, Democrats never passed one bill to uh, re require the rescission of these tariffs. There was a little bit of talk about them, but not one bill from either the Republican uh, Senate or the Democratic House rescinding these tariffs. So I suspect we could be in, and I think it's safe, the safer way to proceed for our members and everybody else who trades internationally is to presume that a lot of these restrictions, disruptions that have occurred will continue uh, under the new administration at least for the first six months. They're high, they have higher priorities that they're talking about. So you think that, I mean, if you look back at the last four years, I mean, would you say that uh, trade politics has negatively affected uh, U.S. exports of, uh, you know, refrigerated, you know, containerized food? I mean, has it been, has it been, it has been a negative, I assume. Yeah, the tariffs have been a negative, but as it is with agriculture, and particularly, again, front and center, refrigerated agriculture, it's unpredictable. So the first thing China did was retaliate against our pork exports, decimated our pork exports. I mean, our members and were absolutely thrown for a complete loop, and they weren't exporting virtually nothing in pork for a while. Then the African swine flu had decimated China's pork her or, uh, hog herds, and they were desperate to get protein. They came back into our market and were buying all the pork they could get, even though China had imposed these uh, retaliatory tariffs making pork in China much more expensive to buy from the United States. The Chinese consumers wanted it. They couldn't get it elsewhere. And they were buying, at least in the quantity, and they were buying record amounts. So what turned started as a horrible, about six, seven, eight months for our pork exporters, turned into one of the best years in history. And still, we are exporting a lot of pork. So unpredictable. That's unpredictable. The nature of unpredictable. It. Well, it's it's been an exciting year. We have, you know, if you think about it, we have you know the coronavirus, and we have the disruptions to the equipment. Uh, we have uh, the ongoing trade tensions and trade issues, and we have uh, a big election coming up. Uh, so, 
now more than ever, uh, you know, a group like AgTC can can help its its Explorer members. And I, I just want to uh, thank you again for uh, speaking with us. It's it's been very informative for a journalist like me. It's always good to to talk to somebody on the front lines of these these kind of issues. And uh, and Peter, thank you again for being with us. Thank you. You always do a great job covering these issues, you and the publication Freight Waves as well. So uh, thank you for doing it. We need to have more visibility on these issues in the general public. So thank you. It's very helpful. My pleasure.